Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Thank you, Brother Steve, so much. Would you mind taking your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to be in the same place that we were last week, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look today at the fourth beatitude in verse 6. The reason that we're going to be there is just because, again, we are at this pivotal moment in the Beatitudes. It's everyone that we've seen so far has been leading up to this moment, and I don't know if we could ever really exhaust the material that the Beatitude has brought before us today. So we're going to do our best to look at it again today, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And as you're finding your way there, as you're turning over there, let me ask you, do you know the difference between what you want and what you need. Do you know the difference? Now, probably, it took you a little while to find out the difference. My children are of age now where it's hard. They're learning the difference between what they want and what they need. And their parents are there to teach them, especially during their birthdays or during Christmas. We have to tell them the difference between what it is that they want and then what it is that they need. How many of you were like me and got socks and underwear for Christmas. Well, wasn't that the bane of your Christmas gift? Who likes to get clothes for Christmas? Well, guess what? Sometimes we need those things, even though we may not want them. I remember taking a trip in seminary. went on a mission trip to Haiti. And it was a funny thing. Here we are in North Carolina, and one of the discussions that we had to make was to prepare ourselves to have certain things, like no air conditioning, to prepare for the smell of the country because they don't have a sophisticated plumbing system. And you should have seen some of the gasp in the group of these seminary students who are going to this country and going to be without some of the things that they thought that were basic needs, but in reality we did just fine without air conditioning, without uh, hot water for a long period of time. So there's a difference, and I hope that you see it, between what it is that you want and what it is that you need. And it's really hard for us because we are in this time and this age of of we're in this capitalistic society, nothing wrong with capitalism, but what it does is it fosters or it can foster a desire for materialism in us. And materialism is one of those kind of things that can take control of us, that can overwhelm us so much so that we're not even aware of the things that happen. Our world, for example, is is a materialistic culture. And it's filled full of many things that we want, but really few things that we really bare bones need. Now, there's going to be a few advertisements coming up pretty soon that is going to try to convince you that you need the latest and the greatest gadget that's going to come out, that new tool that's just going to make your life so much easier. They're going to do their diligence to make you believe that you need whatever it is that's the latest and greatest. But there's a difference between what it is that you want and what it is that you truly need. I'm just going to guess today, just by the audience here, and there are few of us who have ever been without a basic need for any long period of time. But if we've ever been without something that we need, for example, if you've seen pictures and stories of of, uh, prisoners of war, when they put a prisoner in war and they they put them into the prison, they don't withhold things like iPhones and television from them, do they? They withhold things like water and communication with other human beings and food, and you see them as they're released. They have sunken-in cheeks and all the rest. So we understand the difference between what it is that we want and 
something that we need. And if we've ever been without, we understand how desperately we can want what it is that we need. I remember a time when I was younger, we used to go camping every year, sometimes twice or three times a year. We would go out to West Point Lake. And I remember we used to play this game. We would go underneath the water and we would see who, who could go down the furthest. We'd go into this green lake water and see who could go down the furthest. And some of us were more stubborn than others. Some of us would uh, realize that we needed air before we were at a place to get air. And at that moment, it didn't really matter what we brought to the lake with us. It didn't matter what we were wearing that day. It really didn't matter how far we had gone down. All of a sudden, you see us scrambling to the top, trying to get our lungs filled full of what it is that we need, and that is air. So today, what I want to do from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 is I want to talk to you about your greatest need. And this need is a need that everyone has, but unfortunately not everyone is aware of it. And this need is a need that everyone has, but really not everyone wants what Jesus is offering. The need that we're going to talk about today is the greatest need. You need this more than anything else in this world or the next. You need this more than you need food. You need this more than water. You need this more than even the air that you breathe. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And so join me in Matthew 5. And as we're looking at Matthew 5, remember where we are in this series. We are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And so don't just think about it as just some black and white text or some black text on a uh, white background or maybe in your case it's red text on a white background. Think about what this is. This is the true story of the King of the Ages coming to earth. This is the story of the Word becoming flesh dwelling amongst us so that we could then see His glory. This is the story of the King of the ages coming and declaring a a message, the greatest message that the world has ever heard and will ever hear. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's read together Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1 and we'll go all the way down and stop at verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love You. We are here today to receive Your message, and we do so humbly, knowing that unless You are with us and give us understanding and the power of Your Spirit, we are hopelessly lost without You. And so, Father, please, teach us from Your Word full obedience. Teach us, Father, what it is that You desire for us to know. Speak to every heart here. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, listen closely. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 is not simply a declaration. 
It's not just words on a page. Remember this. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 is an invitation for us. It's an invitation to us to find our longing. It's an invitation to us to finally find the desire that our hearts have been longing for. Augustine said that we were created to know God. And until we know God, we're going to live a life full of restlessness. And so in a weary and dry land, those of us who are hungering and thirsting in a world a world filled full of people who are thirsting for something, Jesus comes and He says, Ha-ha, here I'm going to present to you the end of all of your longing. And so He says, Blessed are you when you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then He promises this, you are going to find your satisfaction. And so this morning, as we read what it is that Jesus says will satisfy, we have to ask ourselves a question. And the question is, are we thirsting and hungering? Are we hotly pursuing that which satisfies our souls? And so today, I want to give you two truths just from this text. Two truths about hungering and thirsting for God. Now, number one, if you're going to hunger and thirst for God, number one, you're going to have to cultivate a thirst and a hunger for God. So let's remember the context. Let's just not enter it in verse 6. Remember, there's a few verses that are before. Verse 6. So what's going on here? This is the Beatitudes. Remember, these Beatitudes are blessed statements that are like a golden chain that are linked together to show us what the Kingdom of God and how to get to and how, what the Kingdom of God is comprised of. And so remember the context. What's Jesus been doing? This is the fourth Beatitude. What's He been doing up until this point? Remember that Jesus has been teaching us a song. It's a song that we all need. It's a song that, that everyone's been trying to sing, but no one can quite understand what it is that they're trying to sing. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where you have a song stuck in your head, but you're not quite sure what the song is? You remember this song. You, you know that, that there is such a song, but you can't quite remember such a song. I remember one time my dad used to make me listen, and I enjoyed listening to Fox 97. Anybody else remember Fox 97 used to be on in Atlanta? Well, I, I called one time. That was the oldie station. All right. I called one time and I was convinced that there was this singer because my daddy convinced me that there was this singer that used to sing this song. So we had a request. Here I am back in you know, the, uh, the 90s waiting in my car trying to listen to a song that was made in about the 60s. And I'm calling. I'm so excited. I wanted to hear this song. And I called the guy and the DJ answered and I said, I'd like to request this song. And he said, no, that song doesn't exist. And I remember telling me, arguing, here I am, you know, a young boy, and say, oh, yes, it does exist. You don't know. I'm, you know, my daddy can whoop your daddy, those kind of conversations. You don't know, my dad said it existed, and so sure, he said, well, son, I'm sorry, the song doesn't exist. Are you sure that it doesn't exist? Yes, I'm quite sure it doesn't exist. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll play you the song that was written by another guy that sings it the same way, and I'm thinking, okay, whatever. So here I am sitting in the car for, you know, two hours, running down the battery, never got to hear my song sung. But everyone in this world has a song that they were destined to sing. Because everyone is created by God. The Bible is the true story of the whole world. We read Genesis and we see that Eve was the mother of all living. What does that mean? It means that, that this story is everyone's story. And so everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone's made, I believe the Bible is pretty clear, with the capacity of relating with God. And so here we have this song that everyone's trying to sing, but no one quite knows what it is. And so Jesus comes. 
And it's when He comes that He teaches us what the song is and how it goes. And then He teaches us not just how it is or what it goes, but He teaches us how it is to sing the song. And the song goes something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or maybe we could sing it something like this. Maybe in a more contemporized version. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And so then we look at the fourth beatitude and we read that it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so then we sing, Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. And so this invitation from Jesus, this this Word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 is not just a declaration. This is an invitation for us today to arise and go to Jesus. To find the sweet embrace of His arms. And we can sing and know that in the arms of our dear Savior, oh yes indeed, there are 10,000 charms. Do you know this song? Is this a song that you sing? Is the Beatitudes the melody that that strikes a chord in your heart? Do you agree with the hymn writer who's, I believe, the guy who wrote that hymn that I just mentioned, he's probably reading the Beatitudes. He's reading this whole body of collection that we call the Scriptures, and he's seeing that in the arms of Jesus there is 10,000 charms. The arms of being close to Jesus is greater than anything that this world could ever offer. Do you agree with that? And if... So, if you agree with that, then listen closely to me. If you agree that there's nothing better than Jesus, then listen closely to me. You did not come to that realization on your own effort. You didn't come there by yourself. You didn't come there on your own. In other words, Jesus has come to us. We knew that we were supposed to be longing for something, but we didn't know what it was until Jesus came. And then Jesus comes, and what does He say? Now that I'm here, He holds His arm outstretched, and He says, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, anyone in the room, anyone in the world that needs rest, here is the place that you come. You can go here. You can go yonder. You can try to seek satisfaction. But Jesus says, unless you come to Me, you're always going to be wandering the earth trying to fill your heart with something but never reaching the satisfaction that you need. You see, Jesus has come to us. And with Him has come conviction. And so what it has done is that we thought that we were okay. We thought that our, our good. And this is the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus. That they thought that they were fulfilling the law. And then all of a sudden, true righteousness comes. And Jesus says, unless you supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll not inherit the kingdom of, of God. And so Jesus says, I am the supersession. I have superseded the righteousness of even the Pharisees. Who else can say that? No one can say that other than Jesus. So we live in this world. This world, Jesus has come into this land, this barren wilderness. And this world we know is full of people who are thirsty, 
full of people who wander about trying to find satisfaction. They go here. They go yonder. They think that a, a boy can bring them satisfaction. They think that a girl can bring them satisfaction. So they get married. And then they get married and they find out, well, there must be something more to marriage. And so they think children can make them happy. And then they have children and realize, well, children aren't making me happy, so let me go try another woman or another man. You see the circle that you see the world going in? And it doesn't necessarily have to be something good like children. It can be something... Uh, not so good like drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever the case may be, or spending too much time here or there and making sure that you know you get this or that. The world is filled full of people who are just wandering around in a circle trying to find satisfaction. They're wandering about in the desert and here they have Jesus. They, they're at this crossroads. Christ has come. He's come to bring us to this crossroads. And here we're already wandering in the desert. We're haggard. We're tired. We're, we're just about to give up. And we look over here to our right and we see this wonderful desert oasis. Here is this wonderful place where we can go and we can cool the thirst in our hearts and we can drink the cool fountain and enjoy the shade of the trees. And on the other side over here is more wilderness. Instead of going to the oasis, people choose to wander about in circles trying to find satisfaction in something other than Jesus. Jesus is bidding men come to Him. He is the signpost that's standing in the desert saying, go this way. But what do people do? Instead of accepting Jesus, they're stubborn. So they go about wandering in their lives, going around in circles. And so Jesus has come to be the place where we fulfill our desires. He has come to direct our desires. And so Jesus is saying, don't be stubborn. As Isaiah 55 says, don't go looking for something that doesn't satisfy. Jesus has come to me. Hunger and thirst for me, and you will be satisfied. So here's the truth. Without Jesus coming to direct our desires, you and I, we would be those who were helplessly wandering. Always, maybe getting close to the truth, and you know those who are out there, that they are so close to the truth. Perhaps you know them. Perhaps there's a co-worker. Perhaps it is you have a neighbor who is a lot godlier than some of the Christians that you know. They are so good at different things that they do, but they are so close to the kingdom, and yet they're so far from it because they have not given their heart to Jesus. And so without Jesus to direct our desires, we would be left hopelessly wandering. And Jesus says this as He's going through the Beatitudes. He says only those who realize their poverty will be those who are finally willing to look for God for help. Jesus says when you realize that you are poor in spirit, when you realize that you are mournful over your sin, when you're ready to be meek, when you're ready to, to put your life under My life, then it's in your poverty that salvation will come to you so jesus is there and he's seeing our hunger he's seeing our thirst he's seeing a world filled full of people who are trying to find satisfaction and so what does jesus do he sees our hungering he sees our thirsting and then he comes to us and he gives us satisfaction and how does he give us satisfaction he doesn't throw a bone at us and say here take it he doesn't dangle it over us and say, oh, can you try to get the satisfaction and pull it away from us like that commercial that we all see? No. What does He do? He comes and He gives Himself for us so that He can be the complete satisfaction for our souls. 
So here's what Jesus calls us to do. We can either focus on our efforts or we can focus on His efforts. We can focus on us trying to achieve the righteousness of God, which the, we've been pretty clear. We've made a mess of things. We can ever achieve the righteousness of God. And by the way, these people who believe that you can earn your salvation, these people who believe that you can achieve the righteousness of God, if we could achieve the righteousness of God, then Jesus Christ would not have had to come. But He did. Why did He come? Because He knew that we could not achieve the righteousness of God without His direct and divine intervention. And so He has come. We can either focus on our own efforts or we can focus on what He has done for us. He has come into our barrenness seeking and saving the lost ones. He has come into our brokenness to take the bones that are broken and mend them back together. We can focus on our efforts or we can focus on His efforts. And I think C.S. Lewis was exactly right when he said this in Mere Christianity. Listen to this quote. And I've said it before, but it's worth repeating again. When we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, and listen to what Lewis says here. I think that we may be sure that we are being acted on not by God, but by the devil. So let's break that down just for a moment. He says, if we find that our religious life, our, you see the, you see the key phrase? Our religious life, my religiosity, my righteousness is making me feel good about myself. Then C.S. Lewis is right and he's saying, you are not being led by God. You are being led by Satan. And then listen to what he says here. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. So here's the choice. Forget about yourself or focus on yourself. When you focus on yourself, you're going to see your insignificance. C.S. Lewis says it's better to forget about yourself all together. I would much rather, I don't know about anyone else here, but I'm hoping that we can all agree together that I would much rather, we would all rather much focus on Christ and the salvation that Christ has brought to us. I would much rather spend my life with the satisfaction of my soul. I would rather live my life the way that God has intended for me to live, and that's walking with God. Not tripping over myself. Not letting myself get in the way. Forget about yourself altogether. Come humbly. Cast yourself at His feet and worship Him. So think about it, believer. Ask yourself an honest question here. You see God inviting us to come to Him. Inviting us to, to chase Him. Inviting him to be the object and the sole purpose of our desires. And so think about it and be honest this morning with God. Is God the center of your life? Are you here this morning cultivating a hunger and a thirst for God? And if you are cultivating, that's a word that I chose to use on purpose, and I'll tell you more in just a minute, but what are you doing then to cultivate that hunger and that thirst for God in your life? You know, a good way that you can hunger and thirst for God is to keep a standard before you of what it is that you're supposed to be hungering and thirsting for. 
Do you have someone in your life who is a Hebrews 13.8 person? And so you say, what is that? Well, here's what Hebrews 13.8 says. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The next verse is pretty cool too. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning that God who is faithful to these people that you're imitating, He is faithful and He will what He did for them, He'll do the same thing for you. Do you have someone in your life who's a standard bearer of hungering and thirsting for God? Do you have someone in your life that you are trying to emulate? That you're trying to imitate? I remember for me, I used to pray. I used to, this is personal, I used to pray, God, I have some heroes in my life. I used to pray, God, let me be like my hero, Charles Stanley. Let me be like my hero, Adrian Rogers. Whatever you gave them, God, give me a double portion. And then one day as I was reading Scripture, I realized, hey, I'm aiming way too low. Why in the world would I, nothing against Charles or Adrian, but why in the world would I desire to be like them? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they've done wonderful things, but that's aiming too low for me when Christ has called me not to pursue them, but to pursue Him. To pursue Christ and His righteousness. And see, here's the truth this morning. We can read history and and it's good for us to see lives. And the reason that we pursue these these men and these women is is not because we want to be like them, but because we want to have the kind of faith that they had. They are are hungering and thirsting for God. And if you think about history, history is full of people who hunger and thirst for God. You have people like, uh, you know, David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Indians, lived his life hungering and thirsting for God. You have William Carey, the father of the modern missions movement, hungering and thirsting for God. You have the great Puritan pastor like Jonathan Edwards who had a passionate pursuit in his proclamation that led people to know, to, to thirst and know who Jesus was. Jesus used Edwards to cause a great revival, a great awakening to come in America. Maybe it is that we're so satisfied with where we are that we're just aiming too low. We look at the next guy and think, well, golly, I sure am better than him. I sure am better than her. When God has called us to more than that. I'm so thankful that God has given us people in our lives. He's given us individuals in history so that we can look at and we can see here's what God did with a life who is fully surrendered to Him. Henry Varley, he said this one time. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a life that is totally surrendered to Him. And then Henry Varley stopped and he said, I intend to be that man. That's the kind of passion that I want. Not just going through the motions or coming to church and for me, you know, collecting a paycheck and just preaching a sermon and making people happy. I want to encourage people of what it means to pursue God with a reckless abandonment, to go to places, to go to, to out to the rest of the world, to live our life with proof by the way that we live that we are hungering and thirsting to know God. And I can just say this, we look at stories and we see stories about missionaries who go and they, they leave a full-time job making a lot of money and they go to the Middle East where they could be beheaded. We think that's so radical. It's not radical. It's what Christ has called us all to do. And if all of us together were hungering and thirsting for God, there would be no way like God desired us to, like He called us to, if we were hungering and thirsting for God, if we truly believed that only God satisfied, then we would not have any reason to not send missionaries to the mission field. The Southern Baptist Convention, the largest sending unit in the world right now, has a problem. You know what the problem is? 
it used to be that we didn't have enough people to go. Now we got people ready to go live their lives for these people who are unreached and underserved. People who don't know the name of Jesus. Somebody said that no one should be able to hear the name of Jesus twice without someone hearing it once. We can fulfill the Great Commission. We can make strides to seeing the Great Commission reach to the inmost parts of the earth. We know who the tribes are that don't know who Jesus is. But you know what the problem is? It's not people willing to go. It's money. We don't have enough people willing to sacrifice their funds to give to them. But I tell you this, if we had a church was hungering and thirsting to know God, then there would not be any one people group that had not heard the, the proclamation that Jesus saved. We wouldn't think it's strange that they go and live their lives. We would just look at that and say, here's a life that is hungering and thirsting for God. See, the truth of it is is that we hear stories of William Carey. We hear sermons about how he went to the nations, gave his life. We hear stories about the Judsons, Adoniram and Anna Judson. We hear stories about Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. and We like the storefront version. We like the end. We like hearing the end of the story, but we don't like the scars that come along with it. Lottie Moon didn't start out as Lottie Moon. David Brainerd didn't start out as David Brainerd. Daniel didn't get to be Daniel until he was thrown into a lion's den, right? But we're fine with being the Daniel, but when it comes time for us to get our hands dirty, that's where we freeze. We think about William Carey, oftentimes think about what he commended us with when he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things from God. And so here we are, filled full of expectation for God to do something, but no one's willing to actually take it to the next step and attempt something. Frozen! Why are we frozen? I think Jesus tells us. Because even as Christians, we believe that there's something else that can satisfy us other than Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the satisfaction for your souls. I remember hearing a story about a man by the name of Peter Cartwright. He was a revivalist. At one time, Peter Cartwright, he was known for his fiery preaching. Peter Cartwright told it like it was, no holds barred. And one time, Peter Cartwright, he had heard that President Andrew Jackson was going to come and hear him preach. So some of his friends came up and said, now Cartwright, you know that Andrew Jackson's coming. Why don't you take this as an opportunity to maybe get a second hearing with Andrew Jackson? And why don't you tone down the rhetoric just a little bit tonight? Just tonight, Peter. You can just imagine what that did to a fiery preacher, right? It, pu- it poured uh, gasoline on his fire. And so he got up behind the pulpit, Andrew Jackson in the audience, and he said, I have been asked by some of my friends to tone down the rhetoric tonight because we are so glad that our president is here. President Andrew Jackson, we are so glad that you're here. And Peter Cartwright said, let's just say this right off the bat before we even begin. If Andrew Jackson doesn't repent, he's going to hell. And the whole crowd gasped. They couldn't believe that he said what he said. And then he said, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's begin our message. Andrew Jackson came up to Peter Cartwright after the sermon and he said, quote, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whoop the world. Don't be passive in your pursuit for God. We have to cultivate this 
pursuit of God. We have to take, in that word cultivate, you know, it's a farming term. Which, by the way, the term satisfy in the Greek is a farming term. So it just goes great together as we're doing this together. What do you do when you cultivate? You come to a field. You may have to clear the field. There may be branches or trees even. Then what do you have to do? You have to, you have to turn the dirt over. You have to prepare it to receive the crop. So we can't be passive in the way that we pursue God. We have to cultivate it to passionately pursue righteousness like a man or a woman who is hungering and thirsting to death. Realizing that there is no other satisfaction for you except Jesus. And also realizing that there's no other satisfaction for you except for Jesus. And Jesus is every satisfaction and He gives Himself to you freely. And all you have to do is come. All you have to do is give your life entirely to Him. You see, once we pursue righteousness, this is where it gets so good. The fuel that fosters our pursuit is Christ Himself. It's not about Christ. It's Christ Himself. And number two this morning, if we are going to hunger and thirst for God, then we must feast on Christ. Feast on Christ. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We're a bunch of cannibals? What are you talking about? Feast on Christ. Are we talking about taking a leg or a thigh? What are you talking about? Feast on Christ. Listen. Jesus one time was at a feast of the Jews. John chapter 7. I love that passage. We've been stuck in John chapter 7. John chapter 8 with a college group that meets on Monday night for it seems like forever now. We just can't get over this passage. Maybe I can't get over it and I'm taking them with me. Either one, I hope that they, we all can't get over this passage. And so here's what Jesus, He's standing in the middle of this feast for the Feast of the Jews. And on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up in the middle of everybody and He says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And so everyone's looking around saying, Jesus, what's He got? Has He got some kind of special juice that He's given? No. What's Jesus offer us? Himself. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We are feasting. Remembering in some way mysterious that that crushed fruit of the vine represents the blood that was poured out. What do we do when we take the broken bread? We remember that it was actually His body that was broken for us. And so Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the streams of living water that will leave you never thirsty again. So Jesus says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. See, there's nothing there. It's a free, as John interprets it later in Revelation 22. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me. It's simple. Don't let anything stand in the way of you coming to Jesus because Jesus has moved heaven and earth to come to you. And so now he says, if anyone is thirsty, anyone is thirsty, just come and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is the only one qualified to say that because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. Now, we're not talking about some idea about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus Himself. And He invites us to come to Him to have all of Him. As a matter of fact, He has given Himself all to us so that we could be totally satisfied So Jesus has come. Take my body. Take my blood. Take me. 
I am your righteousness. Feast on Me. Enjoy Me. Let Me be the terminus of your pursuits. Let Me be the end of all of your longing. Jesus has come to Me. So you and I, if we're going to feast on Christ, we need to stop feasting on unrighteousness. Sin has to turn our stomachs. Christian, don't toy with sin in your life. Christian, don't do worse than toy with it. Don't cultivate it. Don't cultivate unrighteousness. Sin has to turn our stomachs just like if we were to go in and pardon the, pardon the graphicness here, but it's, it's worth it. None of us would go into a public restroom and lick the floor. None of us would. Why would we dare take up anything that is unrighteous? Anything that would dare uh, cause a blemish on the name of Christ. Why would we dare delight ourselves in something that is unrighteousness? Sin has to turn our stomachs. There is blatant unrighteousness that we know, right? Someone who's involved in pornography, someone who is a habitual liar, someone who's a drunkard, someone who is thinking about cheating on their wife, or someone who actually has cheated on their wife or husband. You know, blatant unrighteousness. We can always identify those. But what about blunted, blunted righteousness? What about those of us who maybe are not engaging in those things like those other people do, but what about us who are pursuing something that's good, a part of what's from what's best? What about those who are content with who they are with Christ instead of having this burning desire within you to know who God is and to know Him more? What about that? Are we ever to be content in what we know of God? Are we ever to be content in what we know with God? Have we ever done enough to know God? Here's the truth, those, of those, and I believe this, those that know Him best are those that know Him that they don't know enough of Him. And so what do they do? They spend their lives, and their lives tell this story of a joy-filled pursuit. Endless pursuit of knowing God. If Jesus were to come to you today, and He knows your heart, if Jesus were to come to you today, and Evaluate. Sit down. Just you and Him. And He would probably ask you, how's it going? Even though He knows the answer. If He were to come to you today and evaluate how you are living out the righteousness that He has given you, what would you say? This morning, search your hearts and let the Spirit of God prick whatever it is inside of you. You know what it is. It's hindering you from walking closer with God. What it is. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's three things. Maybe it's a whole bunch of things. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not walking with God. Maybe you're here and you realize that you have not found satisfaction because you keep searching for it in other places. Search your heart and see if you are pursuing God. Are you pursuing God like He has called you to pursue Him? There's a story in Scripture if I think of a man who teaches us how to hunger and thirst for God. It's a man, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. I love this. Bartimaeus hears that, that Jesus is coming. Here's this blind beggar, the Bible tells us. Bartimaeus is this blind beggar who's just sitting there and 
he hears that Jesus is coming. And so all of a sudden, he starts to holler out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody looks at him and says, Bartimaeus, be quiet. But as, he, as he's told to be quiet, Bartimaeus cries out all the more. And he got the attention of Jesus. And then Jesus called for Bartimaeus to come to him. And I love what happens next. Listen to the Bible in Mark chapter 10. It says, And throwing off his coat, Bartimaeus, throwing off his coat, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Now remember, I love this. Here's a blind man. He can't see. Jesus asked him the question. It was obvious. It would probably have been obvious to you and I that this man was a beggar. That this man was blind. But it was sure obvious to the Son of Man who knew the intention of his heart. So Jesus looks at him and He asks him, what do you want Me to do for you? And I love this. And the blind man says to him, this is, the, this is the text. The blind man says to him, what do you want me to do? Well, the blind man says to him, what does he say? Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Are you moving yourself, beloved? Are you moving yourself in the position of righteousness are you pursuing God with a hot pursuit are you pursuing God with a vehement passion or are you simply satisfied with what you know don't be satisfied with what you know pursue God and understand the fullness of this life that God has called you to position yourself Cast aside, as Hebrews says, what so easily entangles us, what so hinders us from walking with God. Cast it aside. Get rid of it. It may be costly, but it's more costly for you not to. It will require change in your heart, but the change is worth it because God is infinitely worth it. Jesus is infinitely worth it. There is no one like Jesus. Remember who you are. Remember who you're called to be. Remember the great links that Jesus has gone to to bring you to Himself. Remember the great links that He has gone to to cause you to be righteous by giving of Himself so that you could enjoy Him forever. There are certain things that we do that don't match the appetites that Christ has given us. So what do we do? Because we've been made new in Christ, we cast those away. We get rid of those. We do as the Bible says, take every thought captive and place it under the obedience for Christ. We take all of our desires and test them. And we place them under His command. We cast those things aside and then we begin to move ourselves, position ourselves in what it means to be righteous. We come to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. Not so that we can be more righteous. Understand. But this is because of who we are. We're casting away those things that don't account to righteousness and we're living in the light of the righteousness that Christ has called us to. You see, this verse here for us this morning, those who have tasted and indeed know that Jesus is good, there's still this call to us to hunger and thirst for more of Him because this verse is a call for us to realize the greatness of salvation that Christ has given us. For us to realize that we are justified. That is, He has declared us righteous. We are sanctified and are being sanctified. We are made holy and we are awaiting the day when face to face with our Savior we will see.
Our eyes will behold Him. And all things will be made new. And here's the truth this morning. Don't miss this. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is one day going to spend an eternity with God or without God. With God or without God. The Bible says it's appointed for a man once to die and after this comes the judgment. And what's the difference? What's the difference between spending an eternity with God and an eternity without God? What's the difference? The Bible is clear. Christ's righteousness taking His life upon yours. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ means your salvation. Christ's righteousness is the only way to be blessed. Is the only way to blessedness in this life. Or the next. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love You. And I pray that we are a people at Oxford Baptist Church hungering and thirsting for that which only You can give. Help us to live our lives as desperate and hopeful people. Desperate for more of You and hopeful that You both will satisfy and are the satisfaction of our souls. Lord, with a message like this, with a word from our God, calling us to pursue righteousness, we need grace for You to give us that grace so that we may pursue all that You have for us. Father, don't let us this morning spend our life Chasing things that will never bring us satisfaction. And I pray for maybe those out today who they have been thirsting and chasing things that will never bring them satisfaction. They're lost and they need Jesus. Convict their hearts and let them say that from this day forward, I will pursue Christ with my whole. Only You can do these things. We're asking, Lord God, for a miracle today. To take our hearts, to rend our hearts until they have found their satisfaction only in Jesus. We trust You for these things. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.